Hi, friends. This is episode 78 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey there, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. We are uh, in the middle of an amazing series on the book of Ephesians. It's called God's Blueprint. And I want you to go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and make sure you go to the episodes for God's Blueprint, that series. And I want you to go down to session eight, because that's the study guide. I want you to click on that red icon for session eight to follow along, because there's some really interesting stuff here. I was completely surprised when I studied for this session on what does it mean about this list of gifts? There's three different lists of, of, of spiritual gifts that God gives to us. This one is so different, and I didn't realize until we went through this study. I know you're going to be blown away, and it's going to help you understand where God has you, why he's placed certain people in your path, and how he wants to coach you to your best, most incredible life possible, that you can help the world. You can help all the people around you. So make sure you do that. And thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Most of the people in this room are more gifted than me. Most of the people in this room are more gifted than me. Okay, now I knew when I, I, hold them up, please, keep them up. I knew when I did this, I I would be confused personally because I'm seeing a lot of yeses. I did expect the 55 to 60% yeses I'm seeing um, because uh, many of you are saying, well, I have to be humble. It's the Bible lab and you can't be proud in the Bible. But then I'm also seeing quite a split, almost an even split of the maybes and no's, because many of you also understand that the gifts are not something that you've earned, because a gift is never something you've earned, is it? I mean, of course, that bonus you just got on your paycheck was earned, but you earned a lot more than that bonus. Can I hear an amen? Yes. But many of you also understand that gifts are something that you're not in control of. Yeah, you can be nice. Yeah, you can butter up the boss, but gifts are gifts. And isn't it amazing that today, I didn't map this out. I promise I didn't. Isn't it amazing that today, on Christmas morning, as we're going through this conversation, the conversation is about gifts. Jesus' gifts to us. And so on this Christmas, one of the things I really am hoping that uh, that really comes clear and rings true in this Christmas morning uh, Bible study that we're having is that Jesus ultimately has a Christmas gift for you today. And when you see what it is, I'm, I'm hoping it, it will just be the best gift that you receive this year. Number two, unity is only possible if you also prioritize individuality. Oh, look at this thoughtful group. Okay, so I'm hearing groans, but that's okay. That happens. I'm seeing a majority of yes. I'm seeing like 85% yes, and I'm seeing a lot of maybes, more maybes than no's. So I'm seeing, yeah, it was about 10% maybes and 5% no. 
This is interesting because last week, what did you talk about? Yeah, thank you, Terry. <laughs> and by the way, a great big thank you to Terry Benson, who led out last week phenomenally. I got such great, great reports back. We, no, you did. You did. They, they, yeah, trust me. That, now you know how I feel every week. Yes. Um, Terry did a phenomenal job last week in unpacking God's ultimate desire is that we experience unity right? And once the church unites and experiences this unity, that's when the church fully can accomplish its mission. Go out as one and accomplish God's mission to tell the world that God loves them, he saved them, and he wants to have a eternal lifelong relationship with them. So unity is extremely powerful. But the majority of you say that unity is only possible if you also prioritize something that people say is the antithesis, individuality. But the majority of you are saying no, and it's probably because you read ahead in the scripture. I'm so proud of you. Um, and you understand what this section of scripture is going to talk about. Because the only way for us to fully reach unity as the people of God, is to understand the role of individuality and to prioritize that. So we're going to talk about that today. Number three, I know what my own spiritual gifts are. I know what my own spiritual gifts are. Okay, let's see. Wow. Okay, so I'm seeing about 45% yes. I'm seeing about 50% maybe and the rest no. Um, yeah, this is a challenge. Um, when I was starting out in pastoral ministry, 1993, that's when spiritual gifts was kind of a buzz term where I was working in Texas. And so there was actually some ministries that would um, have these little tests that you would take. And at the end, you would score it up or you'd send it in and they'd send you the results later on telling you, these are your spiritual gifts at most of the times that the test would have nine different specific spiritual gifts and it would tell you where you were gifted and where you were not sometimes it was a surprise most of the time it's not um how many of you and this is not on the study guide how many of you have ever taken a spiritual gifts test or inventory type type thing yeah you can raise a yes card if, if you want yes or no card yes or no i've taken a spiritual gifts test okay yeah that's that's actually <laughs> fewer yeses than the yeses that came up before. It says, I know what my spiritual gifts are. Um, so yeah, very few. I, I saw maybe 10, 15% of you raise a yes card. Today, all of these kind of anxiety feelings you might be feeling right now about spiritual gifts and do you know them, whatever, they're all going to go away. You're just going to take a big spiritual sigh of relief because you're going to understand spiritual gifts from a different perspective. In fact, when I was studying this this week, I was like, oh my word, this is, why aren't people teaching this? Because this is another side of spiritual gifts that really helps us understand what God is doing to help us as a church to unite and to be extremely powerful in the communities that we live. So even though you may not know what your own personal spiritual gifts are, we're going to list several of them today that will make you feel really, really good and very empowered today because these are gifts that God wants you to have that just like when you give gifts to your kids, you don't want to give them gifts that they look at and say, oh, that's nice, and they don't play with them. 
right? You want the gifts that they're like, oh my word, and they want to rip open the packets and they start, want to start interacting with it right away, right? Well, those are the types of gifts that God gives because doesn't scripture say, uh, if you as humans know how to give good gifts, how much more does your father know how to give good gifts? So you're going to see some amazing gifts today that he has for you. Number four, the more spiritually mature you are, the more, uh, the more you are to speak to people concerning what is right and wrong. Okay? The more spiritually mature you are, the more you are to speak to people concerning what is right and wrong. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm seeing mostly no. I'm seeing about 80% no, and I'm seeing about 15% maybe and 5% yes. Okay, we're going to talk about that because this is a tightrope. Because if you love someone, aren't you supposed to help them avoid doing things that could hurt them and might cause them harm? And if you love somebody, aren't you supposed to make sure and speak the truth in love? Yes. So we're going to talk about how to speak the truth in love. And many of you might have a different story about how you were spoken to growing up. But we're going to talk about what is spiritual maturity. And what is a sign of spiritual maturity? Because a lot of people in church think spiritual maturity is manifest when you're able to answer all these doctrinal questions when someone asks you about why do you do this and why do you do that? And we see that as spiritual maturity, not as seeing that as something being academically prepared for a debate. So we're going to talk about spiritual maturity today and how God's gifts actually make you spiritually mature. So we'll talk about that as well. And then number five, here we go. The last one of yes, no, and maybe. God brings about unity by dividing things down into separate parts. God brings about unity by dividing things down to separate parts. Yeah, that's a trick question, isn't it? Yes. So I'm seeing, uh, wow, about 50% yes, and 25% maybes, and no, actually 30% maybes, and 20% no. Yes, this is a hard one because we usually think of division as a negative term. Don't divide, we're supposed to multiply, right? And so as we look at God's gifts and God's plan for us as a church and how to have the most healthy uh, church, we're going to see what God actually does. Does he want us to multiply or does he want us to look at how we divide? And so it's going to be a Really fun conversation. To help us understand it, I want us to get right into Scripture today. We're going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. I have it in the New Living Translation here, and it reads as follows. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That's why the Scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to, equip God, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son 
that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Mm, there is so much here. <laughs> Can I apologize at the beginning? Because uh, there's two more hours of discussion after we stop today. There is so much here. But I want to take a step back and let's start with verse 7. It says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift. Now, when you hear the term spiritual gifts, what do you think of? What do you think of when someone says spiritual gifts? Hold up your comment card, your question card. Many of you have heard this term for decades now. Someone says spiritual gifts. What do you think of? This is an easy one. Well, I'm looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where it says uh, spiritual gifts are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. I love that. Thank you, Larry. 1 Corinthians 12. You can also go to Romans 12, and there's a list there as well. And it's a very similar list to the one that you just read. But those two lists are extremely different than the one that we're reading today. And I'll unpack that for us in a moment. But you're right, Larry. That's, that's what I've always gone to. When someone says, talk to me about spiritual gifts, boom, I'm in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12. And I go there and I read off the list and I say, okay, so do you want to take a spiritual gifts inventory? In fact, when I was the chaplain at Pacific Union College, one of the very first things that all incoming students, and I see some here, uh, had to do that first weekend is they had to fill out these little bubbles, these little tests of what your spiritual gifts are. And at the end of that, you scored up and we would see what your top three gifts were. And then we would challenge you as an incoming student. So what area of ministry are you going to get involved in? Here's the different ministries and here's your gifts. How are you going to plug in so that you're active in using your gifts? And so I've typically approached it that way, Larry. Today, I have a huge surprise for you, and we're going to get to that. Yes, back here. Uh, I think a lot of people, when they think of uh, spiritual gifts, think of talents. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and, and we go and back there's to... there's a difference. Yeah, and we go back to the parable of the talents and, and stuff like that. I did that quite a bit. And thank you, Pastor Gerald. It's so good to see you. You're looking great, man. Um, I've used the parable of the talents more uh, when I talk about spiritual gifts than probably any other parable or any other section of Scripture because in my own life, I found it to be true. Uh, one morning I wake up and God has gifted me because I'm faithful in the small things and the the gifts that I had, then God says, okay, if you're faithful with small things, let me take from those who aren't using it and give to you. I've seen that in my own life. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. That's typically how we see 
spiritual gifts. Uh, over here, yes, Dr. Osborne. So um, do you differentiate between values and gifts and talents? Because I know in my educational ministry, I've been very focused on the creation of transcendent values yes. that you can carry with you beyond whatever major you're taking, yes. whatever career you're in, and how you approach life. Yes. Do you differentiate between spiritual gifts and values? You know, I, I do, but I never realized until this week studying this passage, the connection to spiritual gifts. And what you just talked about is the underlying principle that Paul was inspired to write to the Ephesians. Because when Paul's talking about spiritual gifts here, he's talking about how do those underlying principles get transferred from one generation to the next, from unchurched to church. How is that transferred over in a, a way where it, it makes sense that people are cared for as they're, as they're having this transference of values, knowledge, ethics, morals, whatever. And so Paul actually talks about how God literally gifts you with that opportunity. And so I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what today is all about. And it's so different. And that's the major different way between 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and what Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16 talks about when they talk about spiritual gifts. Because we typically see spir spiritual gifts as great. I've been gifted, but that gift just basically means I have a responsibility. Have you ever received a gift that was a responsibility? Maybe it was a goldfish or a pet of some kind. Uh, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was a, a ticket or a pass to someplace, but you had to go with that person who gave it to you. It's like, great, thanks. This isn't a free gift. This is a responsibility. And so we typically look at things. Okay, so I took the spiritual gifts inventory, and it says, uh-oh, I'm really good at uh, preaching. Does that mean I have to be a preacher? I'm studying nursing. What does that mean? And so a lot of people see spiritual gifts more as responsibility than they do as what, uh, what we're going to talk about today. But thank you, Dr. Osborne, because that is literally the transition we're going to make here in a second. I want to get to two more comments. Uh, back here. Yeah, uh, I was looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and of course it's preaching, teaching, hospitality. And, and, you know, a lot of times you think hospitality, why is that a gift? Anybody can open up their home, but... Unfortunately, everybody cannot. That's true. You know, hospitality is a gift. Another clarification, it says tongues. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of religions, uh, especially the Pentecostal and so forth, they think that's speaking gibberish. Well, in Greek, tongue is glossa. Glossolalia. Okay? Yes. So glossa is your tongue, but even if you go to Greece now, it says foreign tongues, foreign glosses, glossolalia. Yes. So it, it's being able to understand and pick up a language very quickly. That's the gift of tongues and yes. not this other bubbling that, yes. you know, a lot of people think it's, it's glossolalia. It's actually yes. being able to understand <laughs> and speak a yes. foreign language. Well, it's interesting, too, when you look at the two lists, one of the lists actually includes uh, the gift of interpretation of tongues. And so, you know, what's, uh, what's the cause for it? So yeah, you guys have, have shared really what was kind of in my knowledge and understanding of, of gifts 
up until this last week. And then when I started digging into the commentaries and, and looking at, but what is, what is this list of gifts and why, why does it look so different? It feels so different. The, the expected response is, is so different is because when you look at the, at the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, these are gifts given to you to use them specifically to evangelize, to, to, to reach out, which, which is great. And those gifts are abilities, okay? So each of these gifts that we just listed from 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 are abilities. The interesting thing is, that, is as you look at Ephesians 4, these are not abilities. These are people. The gifts listed in Ephesians chapter 4 are not abilities, although these people have abilities. This text is saying, my gift to the church are individuals. There are people brought into your path who are gifts to you to help you understand, just like Dr. Osborne was talking about. How do we transfer values? The values of our church, the priorities of our church, the picture of God, how do we translate those? And I don't know about you, but I, I know me specifically. There are individuals throughout my lifetime that had God not sent them into my life at that moment, I wouldn't understand God the way I do today. And I'm sure you as well have that experience. There are specific people that God brings into your life at specific times, and then you go for a ways, and then God brings someone else. And those people take the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. And the reason why God brings these gifts into your life is because, quite frankly, spiritually you would not have survived the time that you just went through. And it doesn't mean you went through a rough time. Sometimes the most dangerous time in your life is during success. And God brings people during those times to do the work for the church so that we as a body are built up. It doesn't take away, of course, our responsibility and it's not about, you know, making sure that we pay the, you know, to, so that we have pastors and, and the only way that our kids at school are, are getting theological training is through their teachers. We still have responsibility at home, right? But this is saying that God wants to make sure that you as a church grow through the gifts of specific people. Yeah, one of the things that I've really seen this time even more than, than other times I've gone through Ephesians is that he, he talks about the church. I mean, this is God's blueprint, blueprint for the church, but the church is the body of Jesus. Yes. So if you go in, if this is like anatomy and physiology, <laughs> you know, of, of the church. Yeah. And so this is talking about the health of the church. And specifically in this section, he's... He's saying this is how you, you grow up in Jesus. Discipleship yeah. is so key here. Yeah. And, and it, it takes away the, the idea that we just come to Christ and we confess our sins and it's just kind of a, a contractual relationship. This is a journey. This is a life. Yeah. And our, our health is dependent upon the people that God brings around us. Yeah. 
Exactly. And isn't it funny, Terry, how the most successful people in the world all have mentors and coaches? I remember when I was in, you know, college, there was uh, Michael Jordan at our time, the greatest basketball player of, of that time. And the most amazing thing is that Michael Jordan himself had a basketball coach. Now, people would ask the question, so is the coach better than Michael? Put the coach out on the field, out on the court. Let the coach play if he's better. But that's not it. There are people that make us better. And they don't necessarily do what we do in the way that we do, but they have perspective. And that perspective helps us. I've, I've worked with a lot of people who I see the potential, like, oh, you, you have all the ingredients for success. And so I've had this conversation with people, you know, um, It'd be really great if you got some coaching in this area, that way. I think you could really excel. And it's amazing how many times I get pushback. People say, oh, I don't need it, I don't need it. And I always say, well, Michael Jordan had a coach. I say to my generation, now I have to say LeBron James to, to the young kids. Um, but everyone has a coach, a specific coach. These, these pitchers who are throwing the, the baseball over 102 miles an hour, they have a pitching coach that helps them go faster and more accurate. These athletes who are world record holders all have coaches. Why? Because there are people that can come into our lives, that have a perspective, that can in a third-person way look at our lives and say, I can help you not simply make it through and survive, I can really help you thrive. And so those are the coaches that God brings in spiritually into our lives. I could, I could spend a whole hour going era by era in my life of the different individuals God has brought into my life. In fact, I was talking to a couple of you before uh, the lab today about key individuals in my life. There's one individual that I talked about this morning who I wouldn't be doing the Bible lab the way I do it in this interactive way if, if I hadn't received training early on in my career to know that this is even possible. Because everyone said when we were starting to build the Bible lab, you can't do this. You, you can't have an interactive group that's, that's larger than 50. And you can't have roving mics. And you can't, you, know, you, you can't allow the audience to be in charge of the conversation. And that's, you guys would be like, Roy, good luck. Yeah, you're not in charge. Um, because these are the ways that I was shown by mentors in my life. Yes, this is possible. And they invested in me, and they, and, they, and they helped guide me to say, Roy, work on this, work on that, work on your content. You know, here's where you study. Here's the tools to study. And they worked with me to help me to be able to become better at what I do. In the same way, Ephesians says there are individuals here, and there's four categories, even though there's five kind of, uh, uh, kind of categories listed, there's actually only four if you look at it in the Greek, and I'll explain it here in a second. On the back of your study guide, it lists them out, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And just so you understand where those people fit in your own life, apostles are, are the people that uh, we would call church planters today. They're the ones going out to places where there really is not a foothold of, of God and spiritual teaching and preaching in a, a certain area. And so those are apostles. There's prophets. This one always gets our attention because uh, prophets could, in the time of Paul's writing here, Paul, uh, prophets could but did not necessarily predict the future. 
Now, we have some evidence there are times when prophets would, but uh, basically, uh, they were individuals who would be spoken through. God would speak through these people uh, to give us spiritual direction or exhortation. And they bring the living word of God to bear in a particular situation. So there were specific times in Paul's day where prophecy was definitely needed. And you can see this during a time when church didn't exist. Okay, they didn't meet in buildings, they met in houses, they would go door to door. In fact, they would even meet in the Jewish synagogues, the temples of, of the Jewish faith. Because remember, Christianity is Judaism part two. That's where it came out of. And so at the beginning of the early church, they needed to know, what do we do? We don't even know how to do it. And so everything was from scratch. And so God would speak through these prophets. And each generation that the church has gone through, especially during transitional time periods, God has had to breathe into leadership, into people in a prophetic way to say, here's a new vision, here's what I need you to do. You can't see it from your perspective, but I need you to be passionate about this. And God breathes through those people, and we don't call them prophets today, we, we call them visionaries, uh, because God gives them the inspiration. He spires into them, he breathes into them, and inspires them of the new ways he needs us to work so that we can be effective. Now, the next category, evangelist, I always chuckle at, at at this one, because today we view evangelists in two different ways. You either see it in a more conservative way, where the evangelist is an itinerant preacher that goes from city to city, will spend six to eight weeks uh, doing a big event, and then they leave town. The other view of evangelists, if you talk to people, are the guys on TV who keep telling you to send in, their mon- send in your money uh, so that you can help yourself, and God will bless it tenfold, doesn't it say so in Micah? And so um, people, you know, see televangelists as these, basically the, the charlatans on TV. The reality is in the early church, evangelists were very much itinerant. They would go from city to city and they would spread the good news that Jesus Christ really did fulfill the Old Testament prophecy of this Jewish Messiah. And so they share the good news and basically get people to see things a different way, just, you know, basically bump the record player, get it on a different track, and help people say, oh, wait, I've never even thought of that question. So the evangelists were basically posing the question into the community and getting people to to even want to have that conversation. But there's another perspective of evangelism because what ends up happening in most congregations as they go through generations is they go from good news to bad news. And the good news is Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter who you are. You can come as you are and come celebrate with us and come learn with us, come grow with us. That's every early church movement. And then once you get into the second, third, fourth generation of any community, then it gets into the bad news. The bad news is you're eating the wrong stuff. The bad news is you need to take off that jewelry before you come. The bad news is you need to stop this behavior, you need to start this behavior. You need to stop wearing this, you need to start wearing this. You need to, and it's the bad news. And so my argument is that every church needs an in-house evangelist. An evangelist that doesn't leave town after he's gotten the question started in your community. Every church needs an evangelist or 
once you run out of the good news, you start preaching the bad news. And so my argument with the uh, commentators this week was, yeah, evangelists do go from place to place, but we need an evangelist who will stay put. Because once we stop celebrating the good news and helping people, because there should be new people coming in every, every week. Once we stop having a vision that there are new people that haven't heard the good news, then we start focusing on the bad news. And so uh, I would say evangelists also need to be in-house as well. Then this last category, pastors and teachers, the reason why most commentators group them together as kind of a, it's, it's basically two different people within one category. It's like two subcategories within this category, is these were the two individuals who were local. They stayed, they cared for the pastoral needs. The, the word pastor actually is the same word for shepherd. So they're the shepherds of, of the flock, and they would make sure that as there are shepherding needs, the people need to be cared for in the local community, the pastors need to care for, for the growth of people in that, in that way. And then there's teachers, and those are people that are gifted in being able to take complex theological concepts and be able to break them down so the average Joe can understand them and grow. And you can have this growth not only of care and community, but you also have a growth of knowledge and doctrine and understanding of who God is. And so what Paul says is these are the gifts that God gives to the church. He gives us these people who will take care of all aspects of the growth and, and, and spread of this good news. Now there was a comment back here earlier. Was there, was there a microphone back over this way? Was there a comment? Okay. But there is a question now. Good. I knew if I'd waited long enough. <laughs> so my question is, what role did Paul play to the church? Was he one of these specifically? or Because I'm, I'm going through this in my yeah. mind. Because yeah. he you know, wrote to a lot of the churches and went around and he was planted churches. and So what role would he play, do you think? Yeah, he self-identified as an apostle, right. um, which is interesting because the original other 11 apostles didn't identify him as an apostle. They actually took a vote and voted a guy named Matthias as the 12th apostle because in their minds, remember, they had just gone through three and a half years of graduate school with Jesus, uh, some training, and of course, one of them, Judas, failed. And uh, so they had one space open. The Jewish mindset very much uh, believes in an order, a very concrete order of things. There are 12 tribes. <laughs> there were 12 disciples. Um, and as they looked at it, they said, you know, we need to maintain 12. It's this whole number. It's one of God's favorite numbers, and so it represents the people of God. And so you can read about that at the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, where they're trying to decide, what do we do now that we're 11? We're, we're one short. And so they vote this guy, Matthias. It was between two guys. They cast lots. We wouldn't do that today in nominating committee, where we roll dice and see who, who gets the position. If we did, uh, the conference would hear about it, I'm sure. But that's what they did, and Matthias uh, was voted as the apostle. What did Matthias do? <laughs> I'm sure he did a lot, but nothing that we know of exactly, Carol. Nothing! There's a guy named Barnabas who was not part of the disciples either. 
but becomes known as one of the apostles. And this guy named Barnabas, he had a gift. And I've actually been asked throughout, uh, throughout my lifetime, which, uh, which of the apostles uh, do you relate to the most? And I used to say Paul, but the more I read Paul, the more I realize he and I would not be friends. Um, great theology. The guy was just, he was a hard guy to live with. Although I do have some very close friends that I think I'm their only friend. Um, because they're also, they, they share that temperament. So I would have been friends in some way with Paul because I really appreciate what he does and his work ethic and his connection with God and his 180 degree turnaround. But there's this guy named Barnabas who said, I see the potential in different people and I see how to bring people together and I see how to create teams and communities and, and to see a bigger picture and to analyze it, whatever. And uh, it was just a really loving guy. And the more I've, I've studied, the more I realized, nah, I think I like Barnabas a lot more. <laughs> I think he and I would either be really good friends or, or people would get us confused because that's, you know, what I see. But it was only because of Barnabas that Paul had a chance to be an apostle. And the reason why Paul again and again says, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ is because he's the only one saying it. Nobody else was saying it. So uh, long answer to short question, he identified as an apostle. He did, but at other places, he took on the role of evangelist. He took on the role of prophet, bringing new insight and, and new light. Um, but he was not a pastor. Paul did not have the pastor's heart. Um, and what I mean by that is he was not the huggable teddy bear that when someone had the sniffles, he would go over and do a pastoral visit. He just wouldn't do it. He was too busy. He had his role. And so I think very much Paul saw himself as this guy that would take new light into dark areas. And so he used the term apostle quite a bit. I think the next one's over here. Yes, red mic. Yes, Dwight. So the, uh, the role of the elders in the church. Yes. Would that fit more with pastors and teachers? Yes. yes. Um, in fact, you find in the New Testament epistles, those words are used interchangeably, elder and, and pastor. And in fact, sometimes Paul and others are speaking about elders and they shift into the word for pastor and then they shift back to the word for elder. And so very much the mindset at the time of Paul writing this, they were seen as one and the same. Yeah. Uh, purple mic. Yeah. I like what you're doing here, Roy, um, in differentiating uh, this list, because I guess I've always seen it is that each of us is supposed to be one of these five things. Yeah. And I don't think that's, uh, I'm now seeing this as, as not being the case. It's, it's since the I case. was a teacher yeah. most of my life, yeah. working in a denomination uh, for 40 years and then out of the denominational work for another 10. Yeah. Um, I still, I guess, carried over into that work out of the church, some of these roles, even yeah. though they were not directly spiritual. Yeah. But in some ways, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are more helpful mm -hmm. because the old thing was you go to school to become either a doctor, a nurse, a pastor, or a teacher. Those yeah. were the kind of the four <laughs> career paths That's right. that 60 years ago were kind of laid out for folks. And if you didn't, then you were somehow not yeah. As as good as perhaps these four or five. Or you weren't as serious. You weren't as serious about Jesus coming That's again right. soon. Yeah. So this way that you're interpreting this is that not everybody's going to be one of these roles. No. Yeah. These are specific roles given to people, but perhaps the other lists in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are more important 
to each of us as individuals than it is to focus on these five as important as they are. I, 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 love, I love where you went with that because that's the conversation we, that we have to have. And by the way, Dr. Osborne was president of Pacific Union College when I started as the chaplain there and uh, just absolutely loved working with you there. You're, you're absolutely correct. This text, probably one of the greatest gifts, the greatest Christmas gifts you're going to get today is uh, basically a, a, a large dose of guilt be gone. comes in a large bottle. Um, guilt be gone. Yes, uh, just take two and call me in the morning. Um, because this removes your guilt. Because a lot of us feel guilty because we look, well, I'm not a pastor, or I'm not a teacher, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a prophet. <laughs> well, there's some people coming to me and say the prophet, and I was wondering if they'd taken their meds. Um, <laughs> we feel guilty because we're not one of these roles, but that's not what Scripture says. It's that it, and that's the reason why we have two different lists in these three different sections is because God has set it up saying, look, I don't want everyone to be the same. I'm not making robots. That's why you get to decide all kinds of things. But what I am gifting you is I'm gifting you people at the right time to help you mature. And these people will help you mature in your faith and help the church grow in these ways because God is making sure that these individuals are at the right place at the right time to expand God's kingdom. So the first gift that he's giving you today is, like I said, a huge bottle of guilt be gone that you can take liberally and there's no side effects. Because God doesn't want you to feel guilty because of what you're not. He wants you to understand who you are. And that's why he goes on in the scripture to say, why are these people gifted into your life? And the sole purpose is to mature you. And what is the ultimate result of this maturity it's not more guilt it's not more responsibility it's more love because now when people come into your life and they're like you know uh what i heard about your church or what i heard about god or whatever i, I was just looking on social media uh, a couple of weeks ago and one of my former youth when i was a youth pastor posted this horrific statement about the character of God. Why would God do this? And why would God hate this and hate these people and want blood here and hate this group of people and hate that group? And I, I just was like, oh, I just want to hug you and say, I need to be back in your life because there's no one obviously in your life to help you have maturity to understand that may be a world's perspective of God, but that's not a biblical perspective of God. And so God gifts these people into our lives to help us be mature so that our response is not angry and divisive and I'm more correct or you're more incorrect, but to be able to respond in love. Because you see the ultimate goal of these people being gifted into your life is to help you mature so that your response in any situation will be to speak in love. Not to speak like I grew up with, not to speak with adamant truth, but to speak that truth in love. Because there's a lot of people that spoke to me in my formative years that really were doing their best, really were doing what they saw as appropriate, but quite frankly was very inappropriate for that stage of my life. And I easily could have walked away from church. But God gifted into my life, much like he did you, people at just the right time to help you 
mature and understand the goal of God in your life is not perfection. The role of God in your life is perfect love. That's why even when Christ is saying, be ye perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect, look at the context. It has nothing to do with your behavior. It has everything to do with love. Are you loving? Look at the scripture. Prove me wrong. When Jesus says, be ye perfect, he's not talking about your behavior. He's talking about how loving you are. So to go that next layer, Dr. Osborne, from where you were, yes, we're guilt-free because God is gifting us people. He's not saying, I need each of you to choose one of these five areas and be it. He's saying, I brought it into your life. So where do the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans fit in? Well, those are gifts that God gives you from himself. They're not ones that you've developed initially. They're ones that are gifted to you, things you're naturally good at. And it's these gifts of people that Ephesians 4 talks about that help you, like what I mentioned before, be your coach, help you be even better at those gifted areas. I've met a lot of young pastors as, as I've uh, been in my career who I see their potential. And the ones I fear for the most are the ones who have it too easy at first. People like the way they preach. People want to have them come speak to their group. And I fear for them, and I have a conversation with them. You know, this is the area you're going to fail in the most because it's too easy right now, and you're not getting any coaching to understand how am I going to have more to say than what I currently have to say? How am I going to stretch that and grow in an area that comes too easy? And so if you look at the two lists, they go together in this way. Yes, you're gifted in an area, but the gifts of the individuals that God brings into your life are there to help you to sharpen and polish that gift that God has given you in those possibly nine areas of life. Terry. Do you think the, the gifts came in the New Testament as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And yeah. it seems like that happened more than once with different groups. It, it you, did. You look at Acts 15, uh, there was a group of Gentiles, and it caused a huge stir because they yeah. were not circumcised. Do you think that maybe that's part of the equation we're missing, is understanding yeah. what it means to be filled with? And Yeah, I, I, I think that's definitely the key. Um, most people look at what do I need to do to do my responsibility. And the moment you start with I, you've lost. And you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be spiritually impactful. Um, the moment you stop in, I mean, it's a spiritual humility thing. Uh, the better you are at something, the more you have to realize, the only reason why I'm good at this is because God gifted me uh, an ability or a connection or a style or whatever, God gifted it. Um, Francis Chan, several years ago, about 15 years ago now, his book, The Forgotten God, caused a huge stir uh, across the Christian movement because he talked about the Holy Spirit in just that way, Terry, where he talks about how, you know, we do church and we don't need God. We don't need the Holy Spirit to do anything because we've got it all together. But what happens the moment that you allow God's Spirit, which is the one, by the way, when Jesus is saying farewell, just before his ascension, 
his instructions to his disciples was not, now go and do all this. We, we typically focus on Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You know, go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' actual instructions to his disciples, yes, he wanted them to do that, but his actual instructions to his disciples was wait, don't do anything. Until. And that until was the one he had talked about in John 16. He's like, I'm going to send you another paraclete, another me. He will give you power. So don't do anything until he comes because he will be the one who will bring power. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 15. Exactly. The more we look at God's gift to us, the more we realize how much we mess it up every time we try to make it better. Right? It's, and, and by doing it on your own, you not only make yourself feel guilty and demoralized because you'll never do it good. I mean, you might do it good. You'll never do it great. Um, but God's greatest gift to you is that it's not about you. In fact, in, we've mentioned this several times, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, it says it, it's when the Holy Spirit comes into your life that he actually changes you. And he gives you cravings that are opposite of what you typically would want to do. And he, 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 he makes you tempted to do good things that you would never be tempted to do before. And then in verses 22 and 23, he gives you another list of nine things of how he changes you to be better. It's not you being better so God will love you. God loves you so that you'll be better. And he gifts you in these ways so that you are better. But it's not you in and of yourself doing it. So the moment we just stop doing that and realize everything is a gift of God. Grace is a gift of God. These mentors in our life is a gift of God. And anything you might have, any talent or ability that surpasses the average is a gift of God. And the moment we realize that, the moment we can finally relax and say, it's not about my performance. It's about God living and breathing in me and giving opportunity to change other people's lives, to help them understand this is not all there is. My wife and I were just talking this morning. There's a, a individuals who are going through a really tragic time right now, loss of a loved one, COVID-related. They're not believers. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in grace. They don't believe in gifts. They don't believe in any of this. And our conversation was, how are they surviving? How are they even making it? Zero hope of ever seeing their loved one again. How are, do you realize all the gifts that God has given us under his tree? It is packed. Do you think you had a lot of gifts for your grandkids? Are you kidding? God's gifts are just flowing and flowing because it's not about us. Because he loves you enough to say, I'm not going to make it about you. I'm not going to make you prove yourself. I know you, I love you, and I'm going to gift all the things that you want to experience in your life, the ways that you want to be revolutionary to your family, to your friends, to your loved ones, to your coworkers. I'm going to gift all that to you. So stop worrying about how good you are and just relax in the fact that I have gifted, I've breathed all the stuff into your life. Last thing I want you to notice here in this section this is probably the most poignant for our time, and unfortunately, it's one minute past time for us to close. But verse 16, Paul closes by trying to help us understand. He starts out, verse 7, with however, because we just talked about unity, right? It's all about unity, unity, unity. And he says, however, 
I want you to understand, even though our goal is unity, God is gifting you people who are very diverse. He's bringing these very diverse voices and viewpoints who these guys would probably argue that what they're doing is more valuable than what the other person is doing. And so even though we're striving for unity, he says there is a diversity that's absolutely necessary. What he says is each part does its own special work, which to me is probably some of the best news that I heard as a young pastor a couple of decades ago when I felt like I was doing my own special work and nobody else called it special. Um, There's just my own work. Um, because it was different. It was different from how other people were doing it. And I had a few of my colleagues, they also agreed, and we were trying to do things differently. But it's so hard to do things differently when the rest of the world says, no, unity is about uniformity. And I don't know how you see what's going on in the world today, in politics today, and in the church today, but we're all fighting the same thing. Everyone's arguing that we need to do everything the same way, agree about everything the same way. And God himself says, well, I'm the head of the church. And the body, the body has many parts. And each part does its own special work. And I want to challenge us today as we interact with people who have a difference of opinion, that God will give us an opportunity to speak the truth in love. Because the truth is, Christ only can bring about unity and maturity if our church is also full of diversity. It's the only way he can do it. And if we can value that, if we can help God breathe into these what now are very tense situations and help people understand these are the most beautiful situations because it's only the diversity that we're faced with today that allows us to have maturity and ultimately through love allows us to still have unity. And if we can allow God to do that in our lives today, I think it's I think 2022 is going to be one of the one of the most gifted years that we see that God gifts us individually and gifts our church corporately because God has a great work for us. My prayer today is that you'll truly open up these gifts on this Christmas Sabbath and you'll allow yourself to experience and you'll think back in your mind, God, who are these gifts that you placed into my life in my formative years all the way up to today to truly help me to polish the gifts that God gave me and God continues to gift into my life so that ultimately our community will know that if you're related to Christ, you're the most loving person in your community. And if anything comes up in their life, regardless of their activity, regardless of their performance, regardless of their connection to you and Christianity and their church, they know if they come to you, they'll have nothing but a response of love. And that love will be a love they can't get from this world. It can only come from a God who first loved us. That's quite a challenge for us this week, but I know you're up to it, and I know you're going to allow God to not only work through you to be a gift to to the people in your community, but I know that you're also going to continue seeking out 
opportunities to be coached, to sharpen the gifts that God's given you, to, to be the most loving person in your community. So I'm so thankful that you went through this conversation. I hope you'll come back for our next session, session nine of God's Blueprint, which talks about Ephesians chapter five. And ultimately, it starts out by saying that God wants you to be imitators of him. What does it mean to be imitators of God? I hope you come back and find out. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.